0: In today's show, we look back at the 2022 2023 season for the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked Fantasy Basketball. Thank you. For making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day, we are free and available on all platforms. So it's time to look at the Spurs, a team that is really hard to understand from a, what does this mean? What does any of this stuff mean? And we're going to try and figure out what this does mean. And there there are lots of questions about this team. They were the most tanky team of the season. They started doing this stuff pretty early on, Um, not maybe as egregious as what. Some teams did late, or what it was, or what even what this team did late. But it makes it hard to get a full grasp on how this team is going to look, and so many things are going to change with this squad as we move forward. And we'll talk about what's happened here with this team and where everything is, because that's what we're here to do. So, warning. let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they finished 22 and 60, the same record as the Houston Rockets. Um, negative 9.9 net rating, worse than the NBA. So theoretically using Pythagorean wins and net rating as a value of which team was the worst. They were the worst. They were getting smacked often. The Pistons obviously finished five wins worse than this at 17 wins. But yeah, that was from a lot of sort of late game misexecution from the Pistons, whereas the Spurs just got smacked routinely. They had the worst defense in the NBA, 28th uh, best offense. We sort of knew a lot of this. We saw their team... Heading into the season, and then we went, ah, oh, yeah, rough. That's really rough stuff. And it got worse because they had fake injuries. They also had real injuries too, which really hurt them. Their best lineup, which involved players still on the team, it's bad. This is the only lineup that they played that played over 100 possessions together of players remaining on the team. The other lineups all had Yuka Purtle, and there was one lineup that didn't have Yuka Purtle that had Stanley Johnson, and he's not on the team. So this lineup has Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Keita Bates-Diop, and Zach Collins. A lineup they went with a lot down the stretch. You'll notice there's no Jeremy Sohan in that. But it's, this, it's bad. It's not a good lineup. Negative 24.9 net rating. But it's the only one that played over 100 possessions. To give you an understanding of how little we know about what this team could potentially look like moving forward, this is it. One lineup, over 100 possessions, and they were dreadful in that time. In terms of free agency coming up, they've got two unrestricted free agents cater diop who you know was by all you know sort of metrics pretty solid is he a guy you want as your starter absolutely not of course you don't want that but as a as a bloke who can fill in as the you know 11th man on a solid team eighth man on a bad team yeah maybe we'll see whether he comes back he was like on a like basic minimum salary probably yeah, that would what well, You'd be looking for maybe they go three for 10 or something like that. I don't know. And there's Gorgie Jeng, who the Spurs love him as a player. He's 33 years of age. They honestly don't need him at all. But culture-wise, they do like having him around. They're restricted guys, Romeo Langford, Trey Jones. That's the big one there is Trey Jones to me, who was their starting point guard this season. Did he prove enough to be a future lock starting point guard? 100% no. We'll talk about this later, but they will look to bring him back. They've got Don Barlow. There's Julian Champagne, who's uh, uh, restricted as well. There's Sandro Mamakalashvili, and there's Romeo Langford. Romeo Langford, to me, is not a priority guy at all. Sandro probably should be, but again, do you expect him not to play big minutes. And then Barlow, as a two-way guy, I include him because I thought he flashed quite a bit as a two-way player. So, like Champagne also did as well. And there is a chance that they could bring those guys back as part of the uh, roster. Or maybe they look to bring them back as two-way guys. But they are. Yeah, Barlow, Mamu, and Champagne. They are guys who flash a little bit of the interesting stuff as hmm, future prospects. I don't think we look at that for Romeo Langford at all. I think Trey Jones is a guy who was a pretty popular draft pick this season towards the end of drafts. And probably, we'll talk about it in a second, probably lived up to what you hoped. But long term, I don't really think, I don't really think that's uh, something we need to be looking at as something that's reliable at all. Let's look at their NBA draft positioning. They have the third lottery odds, even though they did have the same record as the Rockets. They lost that coin flip, meaning that now they can fall down to seven if they get leapt over by four teams. So their downside, um, their downside upside is lower than the Rockets. Pistons can fall to five, Rockets to six, Spurs to seven. They've still got equal odds at a number one pick, equal odds at a top four pick, which is probably where they land. But if things go awry, they can fall. Um, based on my mock draft ADP database, that would mean pick three is Brandon Miller, but we don't know where that's going to end up. They also have two second rounders. And yesterday I was wrong. I misconstrued the Rockets' second round pick. They don't have a second round pick. I said they had pick 33. They don't. That is going to another team. And there's a whole, there's about seven teams involved in where that ends up going. It's probably going to go to Boston, but. There's no guarantee of that, but there is a guarantee the Rockets don't have that pick. So they have two first-rounders, pick 20, and number two lottery odds, but no second-rounders for the Rockets. For the Spurs, first-rounder, pick three, yeah, lottery odds, and then 32, so an early second-rounder, and then pick 44, which is from the Raptors as well. So based on my mock ADP database, pick 32 would bring them Jalen Wilson from Kansas and pick 44 would be Julian Phillips from Tennessee. That's the caliber of player there who are, aren't are guys who are going to you know, produce huge amounts of numbers, I wouldn't have thought. But that is where they sit. Pick 32 can be a viable one. I'm not sure I'd go Jalen Wilson, but I'd need to do more work on that when talking about, um, when talking about fantasy and, and drafts and all that sort of stuff as we move forward. Today's episode is brought to you by the good fellas, the good blokes over at eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easier to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So let's um, let's look at the players. Good idea. Let's start with um, Devin Vassal in the Spurs system. I was very excited for Vassal as an option this season. I like him as a player quite a bit. And I was very, very confident in him being the best player on this team, in him being the best fantasy player on this team. And I was right. I was just wrong in terms of I thought he could be a top 75, maybe top 70 player. And I also didn't think he'd play 38 games. So right and wrong. He is their best player. He is their best fantasy player. He is a very interesting guy. whose overall upside to me is probably, probably Chris Middleton. Ninety fifth percent outcome career wise is probably Chris Middleton. Doesn't mean he gets there. And if I looked at this team as a whole, there's him, and there's Sohan, and there's probably Collins, as guys that I'd say, yeah, your key parts here. Vassell, we want to be a starter. Sohan, probably. Collins, maybe. And you'll notice there are two names that, of their regular starters, I'm not including in that group. 100th in category leagues, 215th in totals. His minus one rank was 96. He was actually better in points league, 77th, which is almost bang on his ADP at 79. He was drafted in all leagues. So I would have gone a little bit higher than at ADP. Again, blew up my face. I didn't expect him to have mid-season knee surgery. And then when he came back from that knee surgery, he just barely played. He was missing a couple of games with knee soreness early on. And for those who are saying it's a fake injury, it's not, you don't cut open somebody's knee when it's a fake injury. Now, is it something he might have been able to play through had they been competitive and looking for a playoff spot and then had surgery in the offseason? 100%. I reckon there's... I can't say 100%. let us say 95% sure that that could have been a possibility. They could have managed him games and got him right, but there's no point cutting off an off-season development for a season like this for the Spurs. Yes, they would have loved to have him out there, but I, yeah, I, I think this is... It was a concern. It's not a long-term concern. It's obviously not fake, though, because you you don't cut somebody open for something fake. He's 22. He'll be 23 at the start of next season. 31 minutes a night, 25 usage. 25 usage on this team, it's not a red flag to me because that is the sort of number that can be maintained, I think. Say they get Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller comes in. Plays next to Vassell, no reason Vassell can't be a 25 usage player next to Brandon Miller. Again, we'll talk about someone of the equine nature later on, and say are his numbers potentially fake. Yeah, they are, in my opinion. You know who I'm talking about, Colton Johnson. But I think Vassell can do this. He averaged 18 and a half points with 2.7 threes, four rebounds, three and a half assists, 1.1 steals. He can be a better steals guy, but I'm not sure that sticks had someone, um, Kevin, who who tweeted uh, at me, say, hey, he played a lot of point guard this season, 15% according to basketball reference. Basketball reference, just again for future reference, basketball reference um, position designations, which is it's really hard to do, but they just base it on height. Who was the tallest player on the court? They're the center. Who was the shortest player on the court? They're the point guard. That's how they do those designations. Now he did run some as the point guard, but I would suggest that in general, they would play Trey Jones as a point guard. They would play Devontae Graham as a point guard. They would play Josh Richardson as a point guard. They would play Jeremy Sohan as a point guard. They would play Malachi Branham as a point guard. They would play um, Blake Wesley as a point guard. Probably over Vassell. And in those situations, I think he played 10 minutes without one of those guys on the court. Now, it's a lot of different names. And he did do some initiation work for sure. But I'm not sure that he can transition into a full-time point guard. Maybe like the way that Bradley Beal plays point guard, which is... A little bit, some initiation, but not as the main guy who's running every pick and roll. I, I don't really see that for Fasell. So while three point six assists is nice, could he get to assist? Like I don't think he can get to like Devin Booker can run as a point guard and he average six and a half assists. Even Beal can get you six. I, I'm not sure that Fasell's got that in him. Four and a half assists, maybe. I'm not sure he's quite. It, it can still develop. He's only twenty two, but he doesn't he hasn't shown the flashes of a Booker. These are two names of me, A Booker and a Beal who are considered shooting guards who developed into being able to run point guards and assists. I'm not sure he's got that in him. He shot 44 from the field, 39 from three, 78 from the line. And one of the early consternations this season for Vassell was the poor shooting. If 44 is not great, but he still shot his three-ball well. On an increased usage, I, I think there is some pretty significant scope to improve here. And I will be pretty interested in targeting him again next season. I do think, even though there were some disappointments this season, he still remains a strong dynasty asset to me. His advanced numbers, we go like minus one in EPM. He sort of above average in both EPM and estimated wins. Darko is about average as well, negative 0.8. LeBron, really poor actually in LeBron, which is weird. The only advance that I didn't love him, negative 1.6. You can see his Darko graph, which is a little concerning. Consistent improvements. And then he head to this season and things decreased. He definitely wasn't the same after he come back from knee injury. So I think there is a part of that that is tied into that decline, but it is somewhat concerning. And we look at his fantasy points graph. Like there was pretty strong and then, we saw the big gap in the middle with the surgery. And then when he came back, none of those lines connect, which means he was playing on, off, on, off. And those numbers aren't particularly strong. There was no rhythm that he was able to get gather as well. He had a couple of big games. You can see that little blue peak there. A couple of big games, but it's really hard to judge anything from basically January onwards, because that's when this team turned to shit. And that did impact some of his overall numbers, some of his overall advance numbers. And I think, again, we just have to ignore a little bit of that. Again, you look at his EPM graph, it was pretty strong early on, had a bit of a dip, big absence there. And then it did fall down when he was sort of all over the place towards the end as he was trying to get his rhythm. And that is something, again, that is, I think, important to note with so many of these guys, that that lack of rhythm, the ins and outs, the return from injury impacts their season-long numbers. Trey Jones, who, again, was that starting point guard, had a foot issue, but did play way more than I expected at the end. He ended up not really being a part of the big rest crew, towards the end of the season as much as I thought he would. He finished the season 101st, 86th in totals for Category Leagues, again, showing that he played a little bit more than we thought. Minus one rank, 110, so no real standout there. So meaning that sort of means that the fact that he's minus one rank is um, a lower rank than what his straight number is means that, yeah, he's not having his bigger peaks and troughs. He's sort of solidly below average rather than like, oh, you're really good here. And if you punt this category, you get a big advantage. That's not really how it worked for Trey thinks he was 93rd with a total of 90, so all sort of around the same. 103 ADP, so he was right in line with that. He's 23, and as I said, he is a restricted free agent coming up. He played 68 games, 29 minutes, 20% usage, 13 points, 3.5 boards, 6.6 assists, 1.3 steals. But part the thing that stands out here is he cannot shoot. Point seven threes, 29% shooting from three. Yeah, he was 46 and 86, and he's a great turnovers guy, handles the ball well, but... If you can't shoot to that poor level, you need to have a ton of gravity on ball, and I don't think he has it. And that's where I run into some concerns with, is he a future starter? I don't really think so. The Darko graph is really encouraging. Look how big a peak we get here towards the end of the season. But again, that very end of the season is when so many guys were in and out. No Calder, no Vassell, and he was really the only starter who was hovering around. And that, I think, boosted some of his numbers. His overall advanced numbers are pretty solid. 75th percentile in estimated wins, positive LeBron, top 200 in Darko. They're not blow-you-away numbers, but they're pretty solid. So there's enough there for me to go, yeah, he's a solid player. He's a a 22-minute-a-night future guy, I think. But he might be the starter again next season. But don't get any sort of concerns that if Scoot Henderson gets drafted, like Scoot will play over this guy without any problems. It might take a little bit of time, but it might not. He's better than him already. And Trey is solid but he doesn't give you really much organizational upside. His contract will be interesting. He'll probably get, you know, if he got three years 36, it's probably a bargain. If he gets four years 70, it's too much. So where's he fit in there? Like 15 million a season for a guy that might be a bridge starter, that might be a one-year starter, depending on what happens. It might be just a really stable backup for a young point guard like Scoot or Armin Thompson or a Sir Thompson or whatever they do. Yeah, fine. But I don't look at him as a future starter. His fantasy points graph, um, again, just really sort of steady stuff. A few little peaks in there. The minutes were really steady as well. You got that foot injury towards the end of the season where you see all those little red and blue dots. And then he played strongly towards the end. And you'll notice at the end of the season, like his blue and red lines, which is fantasy points and minutes, they intersect pretty pretty closely. Until at the end when everyone was out, where his minutes stayed the same, but his fantasy points went way up. Because it was just a bunch of people not there, and he started producing at a really high level. Again, context is always really important here. And we look at his EPM graph, the same thing. Yeah, really steady. Round league average, round league average, missed some games, blew up at the end. Huge numbers here through April, but April numbers, what do we take out of it? Again, he was impacting really well. He was putting up strong numbers, but I'm not sure how much of it means anything, like at all. Let's go to Zach Collins. Um, All right, Zach Collins, I think we forget, this boy broke his leg during the season. He had a fracture in his leg. That's huge that he was able to come back and be as good as he was. Now, Greg Popovich has come out already and said, he is our starting center for next season. Great to know that. We also had the Pacers tell us that um, Jalen Smith was their starting power forward. We also had the Mavericks tell us JaVale McGee was their starting center. Now, this is not me telling you that Zach Collins is Jalen Smith. Or Zach Collins is JaVale McGee. I would, I was on record millions of times saying, hey, I think Jalen Smith's terrible. But if they're going to start him, that's fine. JaVale McGee, what are these idiots doing? I think Zach Collins is good. So me, again, it's, is there bias? Me saying, I think he's good. And the Spurs saying, hey, he's going to start. I go, oh, that's very interesting. And I know I had some pushback on the Rocket Show yesterday when I was talking about Victor Wemanyama. I don't think is a center. He might become a center. And I don't care that he's 7'4", 7'4" foot I don't think he needs to play center. He can dribble. He can pass. He can shoot. He can defend on the perimeter. He can defend on the interior. Jaron Jackson, but can handle the ball. That's basically what you can look at with Victor. Victor can play some center, and he will play some center, but he doesn't have to play center. The problem there for me is, like someone that's been playing the four a lot, or or the wing, Kelton Johnson and Jeremy Sohan. Which one of those guys could be in real trouble? Hmm. Collins, though, despite playing 23 minutes, was ranked 122nd in Category Leagues. That should give you just a huge indication of, oh, yeah, this guy's got some significant Category upside, and I don't think they're going to bring in another center. And even if it is Victor, he's going to play 27 a night. Minimum, I would guess. And that makes him a top 70 player, probably. Points Leagues, he's not quite as good as in Category Leagues, but they're all about the same. Drafted nowhere. because we didn't even know he was going to be the backup center. Then he got injured to start the season. He's 25. He plays 63 games despite breaking his leg. 23 minutes, 21 usage, and 11.5 points, 6 rebounds, 0.8 blocks, 0.9 threes. You go to do 27 minutes, you're talking about, say, 14 and 7.5, 1.2 threes, 1.1, 1.2 blocks. Passed a little bit as well. Again, we, it's hard to know that because Sohan missed a bunch of time towards the end. Vassell missed a bunch of time. So many random players in the lineup that we saw Collins take a step up in passing. But the counter of that is that we also saw Yuka Pertl play that same role early in the season where his passing was a key part, and Collins can do it. No reason, that 2.8 assists in 22 minutes, no reason he can't average four on this team as a center offensive hub. His EPM was strong, 72nd percentile, 69th in estimated wins. Giggity. Darko at negative 0.7. LeBron, LeBron didn't like him that much. 19 percentile compared better starters. But that um, Darko graph is relatively encouraging. After some struggles with a lot of foot injuries and shoulder injuries, it's really started to push back up. And I think he is you know, he's heading towards his prime, probably two years away. He's not a long-term six-year starting center. But you know, for two years, three years, I think there's a little bit of interest here. And as you can see, when sort of Perdle got traded around that, you know, two-thirds of the way through the season, all-star break, you see his minutes and his fantasy points push up relatively um, close to each other. His EPM again, we saw the trade. It started to be really impactful there. And then we got fake bicep injuries for him and that dropped some of his numbers. But he really started to have an impact after he was inserted to be the starter. And that's it's really encouraging what we got out of Zach Collins, I thought. Uh, I, I was impressed with him. I think he's definitely going to be a guy drafted in the top 100. Is he a guy in a dynasty League? You expect that for five years? I don't think so. Two years, probably. Three years, maybe. No reason, though, in the next two years, he couldn't chuck out a top 50 season. I haven't talked about this at all. People have asked, like, is he for Greg Popovich? What's Popovich doing? I don't know. I thought Popovich could have retired two years ago. I don't know why he's still coaching. He obviously loves it. Different teams. Should he be still be coaching? That's a different decision. But given what he's meant to this franchise, it's completely his decision. No one's going to fire him. He just does what he wants, which is fine. He's not bad. He's not like actively hurting them. So I really don't know where Pop goes. But I think it's a very it's obviously a very important season for Zach Collins next season. And I think he's going to be a pretty strong fantasy guy for at least one to two. And I don't think Weminyama really changes that if that's what they end up doing. Whose horse is that? Uh it's my horse. It's Calvin Johnson, who is a guy that I don't really believe in. Yeah, put my cards on the table. If you've listened to the show before, you know that. He was a guy, though, was getting drafted at pick 71. He ended up 68th in points leagues, but 136th in category leagues, 143 in minus one ranks. Part of my problem with him is is that he just doesn't do enough. He can score, and he stepped up in a large role. 28 usage, 33 minutes, averaged 22 points. That is all really, really, really good, really good numbers. But for a category league, there's just so many negatives as to what he does. And to me, he just is not a significant winning player. And, again, if they got Weminyama, I would rather them start Sohan Weminyama, um, Collins, Vassal than start Keldon Johnson. They probably wouldn't do that, but they should. I, I, I'm i wrong on players all the time. I'm right on players all the time. But everything about Keldon, to me, so far, has played out very similar to how I expected. An unreliable shooter, a no defensive stat player, and one thing we have to look at here, it's like the DeJounte Murray situation from last season. Well, the season before, 21, 22. Is that you can look at this guy. Josh, he had 28 usage, 33 minutes. He averaged 22 points a game. He 68th in fantasy points. Sweet toy, mate. talking about. He's really good. He had to carry this giant load. That's, that's all true. But the Spurs won't be the worst team in the NBA forever. They won't be. And as soon as they're not the worst team in the NBA, he doesn't get to do any of this. He didn't show anything to me that makes me go, yeah, here we go. Number one bloke. Settle in, feed everything towards him, let him cook. Like That's just not him. He's not good enough to do that. And his fantasy game, category-wise, is already shit house. 22 points and two threes is strong, but under three assists, five rebounds, 0.7 steals, 0.9 blocks, subpar field goal, subpar threes, subpar free throw percentage. He scores because he had the ball in his hands a lot, and that is just not a replicable thing for him moving forward. He's 23. He's only young. Maybe things change, but this is what he's like in Kentucky. It's what he's been like every NBA season as well. A 3 and D guy who's not a good three-point shooter or a good defender and a guy that thrives so much on trying to get to the rim and inefficiency in a high-volume role, which he needed to do for this team, no doubt. But you don't look at this and, and say, well, that's yeah, that's a blueprint for success because it's not. In saying all that, his advance numbers are okay. He's EPM at 59th percentile. He is estimated to win 69th yeah, with 63 games played is fine. He's Darko 214th. He's LeBron is bad at 17th percentile. But again, we look at some of this graph stuff, some really strong improvements on Darko. And then as he was put into this larger role, um, we didn't really see the thriving that we needed. And his future projection drops off a little bit here. And that's where I have some concerns. Obviously, he missed a lot of time as well with fake injuries and knees and shoulders and feet and ankles, and whatever they were. So you see a lot of sporadic dots towards the end. He was relatively consistent in fantasy points leagues, put up really strong stuff. But again, when we're trying to project forward for next season and for future seasons, the reason he was able to do this is because they pumped 28% usage in 33 minutes into him. And a realistic thought process, if Victor Wembanyama comes to this team, do they bench Johnson or do they bench Sohan? I, I don't know. Who is more important as a part of their future? I know who I think that is. I think it's Sohan. And then, look, so what, what would you do? Like play Vassel at the one and Kelden at the two, Sohan at the three? Do you play Sohan full-time at the one? They get into a really squishy sort of situation. Which you never want squishy situations when we're talking and projecting fantasy value moving forward. Here's his EPM graph. This was a horrible stretch at the start of the year, that big dip. He could not hit a single thing. And to be fair to him, he improved efficiency as the season went on, and he became okay. And it's reflected in a lot of his overall impact numbers here too. But I still am not convinced that he is a future starter. Definitely not a future star. A um, future starter, maybe he's a starter, but it depends on the team. Like, is DeAndre Hunter someone I consider a future starter? Like, I think Keldon Johnson's a worse player than DeAndre Hunter. And they just don't offer enough. And you know, if if they get Brandon Miller, even like who moves to the bench? Is it Sohan or is it Johnson? Like who moves? This is the this is the very interesting thing with this team. And again, if I was in a dynasty league, I would be just seeing what's available in a Calder Johnson trade because massive chance this is his best season ever. Massive chance in my mind. It's got a gold finger. Charlie Bassey, who really was a bit of a revelation at times this season. He only finished 200th in Category Leagues. 190th minus one rank. 233 in Points Leagues. Nothing super exciting there. But we had a stage where he was getting minutes because Pertle was out and Zach Collins was hurt. And even in a 20-minute backup role, this boy put up numbers. He played 14 minutes a night, yet was ranked 200th in Category Leagues. And it's not great, but in 14 minutes a night it is. He had 16 usage, he averaged 5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 0.5 steals, 0.9 blocks. 0.9 blocks, again, is it good? No. But in 28 minutes, it's almost 2 blocks. And that's where we get good. And it's 11 points, and it's 11 rebounds, and it's 64% shooting. Yes, the free throws aren't good. He also hit 38% from 3 on low attempts. But to me, he's always been a strong projected guy coming out of Western Kentucky, Showed it again in Philadelphia. Showed it again here. And, yeah, end of the season with that fractured Patella. You hope he's ready to start next season. I believe he will be. And I think he just pencils in as the backup center. 20 minutes. If he gets 20 minutes a night, he's honestly, if not draftable in 12s, he's at least streamable consideration. He will have value in 20 minutes. Even in 18, he has some value in certain situations. Probably not as much points leagues. His advanced stats are massively strong. Point... 8 on APM, led the team, 79th percentile. LeBron, 53rd percentile compared to starters. Darko's anyone that didn't really love him. And the Darko graph, you can see, though, huge improvement over this season compared to where he was as a rookie. Big improvement. Still not where he needs to be. Still not in the positives. But I am I am very interested in his um, career. Again, a big big sort of injury in the middle of the year and some obviously injury at, the, start of, at the, the end of the season. But look at that little spike here where he came back, put up these big... Big, big numbers, and then sort of lost a bit of momentum as he moved back to the bench. But a guy that, as we know, that when he was given opportunities, did put up some very strong numbers. And I am really interested to see where he goes. And I have some faith in him to be a solid enough backup center who can contribute on and off in fantasy leagues um, for the next three, four years. His EPM graph, big spike here coming back from that injury big spike there, some really strong play again at the start, you know, December type period. That ties in with our memory of his what, what his season was like as well, where he put up some really strong numbers. He's a bit, I don't think he can ever be a guy that we rely upon long-term as a starter, but there is no reason in my mind that he can't have a one to two season run where someone goes, we need a center on the cheap, the way the Kings did with Rashawn Holmes a guy that consistently puts up unbelievable advanced numbers in backup role, which is what Holmes did. And there's no reason, it, it won't necessarily happen, but there are certain players will go, it's never going to happen. But for Bassi, there could easily be a one to two year gap. Look, what if Collins comes out, gets hurt, because he's had a lot of injuries. Bassi starts 60 games. He'll be a top 60 guy. Easy. And that can happen for one to two. And then, yeah, he gets traded, or he gets whatever, and finds his role for one to two years and it'll fade away. But he's a very interesting player. Very interesting. This next guy. Sohan, now! I think one of the biggest things to take away from Jeremy Sohan's season were there were two things. The Spurs don't start rookies. They started him opening night. They knew they were going nowhere, but they don't start rookies. He started opening night. And they also said, right, you're a point guard. Excuse me? I didn't think really that was... I thought he had some passing ability at Baylor, but not like that. Not that they would just say, run it and... While some of the advanced stuff is not particularly strong, for Sohan, the fact that they put him into that role and let him do some stuff is really intriguing. Really intriguing. Defensively, he came in with a good defensive reputation. Didn't really translate into the defensive numbers. He was 204th in category leagues, 165th in points leagues. He had some stretches of being a must-roster player. Didn't really last you know, injury-wise. But He's not even 20 yet. He would be 20 really soon. He played 56 games, 26 minutes, 20 usage. 20 usage as a guy who, I don't even know if he had 20 usage in college and averaged two and a half assists in 26 minutes. I'm very intrigued by that. 11 points, half a three, five rebounds, two and a half assists, 0.8 steals, 0.4 blocks. The problem you have here is shooting. 25% from three is dreadful. 45 from the field for a guy that probably should be taking a lot of shots close to the rim is not great. And then 70% from the line. Yes, that improved when we went to that weird style, but he just needs to be better. And these are some of the issues. And part of the way that you can get guys who can't shoot um, get some value in them is in putting the ball in their hands and making them improve or dissect a defense through passing and driving. And while I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that, I think trying to develop that as the shot comes along is intriguing. Now, again, his advanced numbers, Darko really hated him, negative 2.8. And Darko actually thinks he got worse as the season went on, as you can see on that projection, which I don't actually disagree with. He did struggle quite a bit towards the end of the year. LeBron was not particularly strong on him, but his EPM was okay. 50th percentile EPMs, 56th in estimated wins. And at his age, doing things that I didn't think he could do, I am absolutely still remain terrified of all of the shooting numbers. But flashing some assist potential, with a bit more scoring and a bit more usage than I thought he'd be anywhere near, is great. The lack of defense is a big concern. And I don't know where that puts him fantasy-wise. Will he be draftable next season? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But he is young. We've got a long way to go. And you can see the fantasy points production. They do tend to, like there seems to be a bit of an increase we go for. But again, the second half of your season is a write-off. Just fake injuries all over the place. Fake, I don't know. Um, injuries that maybe aren't as severe as we thought. I think he would be fine for next season. I think he plays more than 26 minutes. But again, that could be changed by Miller. It could be changed by Weminyama. Yama. It could be changed if they decide to prioritize Calderon over him. But what I really want to see is the ve- development in three-point shooting, development in assists, and development in usage. And they're all ready. The three-point is no, but the other things are way ahead of where I thought they would be. Way behind in defensive stuff, but way ahead in those other areas. So I've got a little bit of faith in Sohan. I was pretty big on him as a draft prospect, not as big on him as a fantasy draft prospect, a fantasy dynasty prospect. And I would say that my real life projection on Sohan, I'm probably higher on him now, even though I I, I was advocating for him, I think at points going as high as six in that draft, because uh, having a switchable defender, six, nine defender who can switch up, switch down, who can do a little bit of passing, um, was very intriguing to me versus empty, no defense, no passing black hole guards. Like I think I might have even had him over Mathurin. Now obviously Mathurin was better this season, but Sohan's still young, and I am intrigued there. But fantasy wise, I thought that my, he might be able to do like 1.2 steals and 0.7 blocks, and be struggling and everywhere else like average eight points and you know one assist. So he sort of flipped me there, and that lack of defense, which I thought could carry him through, is is somewhat of a concern. And that probably sours me a little bit on his fantasy fantasy dynasty projection. Encouraging EPM graph though. Like Darko thought he got worse, EPM got thought he got better. Remember Darko is a forward projection tool though. It gives you, it tells you sort of what they've done, but also where does this mean going forward. Whereas EPM is just what has happened. So while he did improve as the season went on, Darko was less interested in his overall upside moving forward, which is an, an interesting thing to sort of pay attention to. It's got to catabate Diop don't need to talk too much about him. 211th in category leagues, 187th in points leagues. He was really a strong draftable guy or rosterable guy towards the end. No one drafted him. He's 27 though. That's part of our problem here. He played 22 minutes a night, 67 games, averaged 10 points, four rebounds, 0.7 steals, 0.8 threes, 51, 39, 79, split stats, really strong. And as you can see on that um, Darko graph, like massively improved as the season went on. But that's mainly because he got stuck into a consistent role, with a bunch of nobodies around him, and he started to play well. His advanced stats are strong, basically across the board, like LeBron doesn't love him, but Darko does. Um, EPM does. Estimated Wins does, which is an EPM stat. All those numbers really, really thought he was a solid contributor. But as I said early on, when talking about his unrestricted free agency, he is a ninth man on a mediocre team. He's a 11th man on a good team. A guy that when he comes in, you go, okay, like, say, for example, like Derek Jones Jr. on the Bulls, I'd probably rather have Kade Bates-Diop as a more solid option to so when I need a backup forward, he can slide in there. Versus like, even like a, a guy, say the Bucks like Pat Connaughton, out of the rotation at the end of the season, like Bates-Diop can sort of hold that that role where if you need to, he can step in and be good. But you don't want to rely upon him to be any sort of future part of your core. He didn't play much early in the year. And then when Kalden and Sohan were in, injured, he played a consistent role down the end, put up good numbers, but like with so many players on tanking teams, this is probably the best we ever get from Cater Bates-Diop. And again, all tied into like some strong play down the end of the season, but so much of what the Spurs... like If you look at anyone who starts to really ramp up at the end of this season here for the Spurs, you should have a giant red flag because of everybody that was out in that time really skewing play distribution. Let's go to one of the rookies here, Malachi Branham who, again, did benefit towards the end of the season for everybody being out. Played a much larger role than I thought he would. He got sent to the G League, the first out of all the rookies early in the season and was really struggling. 282nd in category leagues, 303 minus one, 240 points leagues, wasn't drafted, of course. He ended up playing 66 games. He's only 19 as well. He played 24 minutes a night with 19 new seats. Now, this is a guy who in college was an unbelievably good mid-range shooter, but struggled from three. And I think a lot of that carried over. 30% from three, 44% overall, 83 from the line. He averaged 10 points, two assists, 0.5 steals. He realistically has a pretty poor fantasy skill set. He's a player that if you were to put him in two years' time in the exact same position that Calden Johnson was in this season, he could easily do that, but probably do it more efficiently. But lack of assists, lack of rebounds, lack of defensive stats... He needs a lot of the ball, and his lack of three-point shooting is a concern. Now, he was probably a little bit better than I thought with 1.2 attempts. He just didn't take many threes at all at Ohio State. But still, a lot of the concern. Now, I like him as a player. I'm just not sure I like him as a translatable fantasy player. The advanced stuff actually hated him. Negative 3.9 EPM is 18th percentile. He was a negative estimated wins player, meaning he cost his team wins, and not many players do that. Third percentile, eleventh percentile, LeBron, 442nd in Darko, and as you can see, look, there's not, there's the Darko trend line is not really pushing up, and when we contrast that with the fantasy points trend line, trend line, which does push up, because his minutes pushed up, but it didn't actually improve his impact. He just sort of got empty stats. Yeah, more empty stats through more minutes, and so much of look, what is his role in this team. Is he a future starter? I don't think so. I'm not I don't really know, but like Vassel's there. Sohan could be there. Scoot could be there. Miller could be there. Arman could be there. I don't like I think he's okay, but I think also some of his fantasy value for this season was a little bit overstated. He would have the occasional big game and he'd get like, oh he's 20 points on 70% shooting. And then yeah, you get 20% shooting the next game and no ability to supplement it in other areas. His EPM graph, again, still really never hit over, never got his rolling average over zero. Zero is not 50th percentile for EPM. I think it's like 70th percentile. So he's not bad. He was actually okay as a rookie, but nothing stood out massively. Let's go to a guy that didn't really think I'd have to be talking about, but that is Sandro Mamakalishvili. He was 338th in category leagues, 288th in points leagues. He's 24. He was cut by the Bucks midseason came over here to the Spurs. Played 43 games, 15 minutes, 18 usage, 6-4 he averaged with 0.3 steals, 0.3 blocks. Shot 42, 30, and 68. Nothing particularly special there. But we know that towards the end of the season, when Mamu was given opportunities, he put up big numbers. We know this. And this is why we have to just look back at this. Like, there's nothing there that looks massive. Nothing looks great. Shooting, not particularly strong. Defensive numbers, absolutely nothing to write home about whatsoever. Decent enough rebounds, yeah. Scored okay, yeah. 18 usage, not bad. Impact stuff, not strong. 37th percentile EPM, 402nd in Darko, 31st in LeBron percentile, 39th percentile in estimated wins. And you'd see that Darko graph that when he came over to the Spurs and he was tasked with a larger role while a lot of his counting stats went up, his overall impact numbers didn't really change. And you can see that on the fantasy points graph. Didn't do anything, came to the Spurs, big numbers. But that was on a team with everyone out and with Charles Bassey injured. And I think Bassey's still a better player than Mamu, And Mamu's at least given us something to look at. And maybe they bring him back as a third-string center. But I don't think that that little flourish at the end of the season where he put up some okay numbers, I don't think it's a winning proposition to bank on that in Dynasty. And you look at this, basically when he was at the Bucks, he didn't play much, went to the Spurs, and all of his impact stuff went way down. Just continued to drop way off once he joined San Antonio, which is not a great sign. When he was given the opportunity, he got worse despite, again, some opportunities or some games where the counting stats were okay. The last player I'm going to talk about in depth here is Blake Wesley, another one of their first-round picks, who had a pretty unfortunate... Look, so, the guys, I'm not going to really talk about here. I'm not going to talk about Champagne, who had some flashes. He's only... Like, he played 19 minutes. I'm not going to talk about him. Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, Langford... Um, Ken Birch, who didn't even play for this team, and even Don Barlow. I'm not really, I'm not going to cover those guys. Barlow is probably the guy that gives me the most intrigue, but he's a two-way player. Um, he's an interesting center, but they could have Collins, Bassi, Mamu, and Barlow. I'd rather Barlow over uh, Mamu to be honest, four years younger. Let's talk Wesley, who worked his way to get backup point guard minutes. Yes, Obi, he did. Unbelievable backup point guard minutes. And then hurt his knee. And never really recovered. 421st in Category Leagues, which is shocking. His numbers are dreadful. Honestly, might have found the worst player in the NBA this season. He just turned 20. His points league ranking is better than Category Leagues. He played 37 minutes, 18... Uh, so 37 games, 18 minutes, 19 usage, 5 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, and 0.7 steals. That's where I go, okay. Okay. three Almost 3 assists in 19 minutes? Okay. 0.7 steals in 19 minutes? Okay. from three? Yeah, I'm in on that. 32% from the field. And one of the issues with him at Notre Dame, one of the issues with him in Summer League was, why can this man not finish? Why can he not hit layups? Why can he not do any of this? And, well, I don't know the answer to it, but we had the same problem. 32% shooting when you hit 39% from three is disgusting. It's the same problem. And if you can't finish, that's really a bad sign. I like the passing. I like developing as a point guard. I like the three-point shooting. But, yeah, look, there's a, that's a massive red flag. It's pretty hard to get worse than a negative 7.8 EPM. Negative 2.2 estimated wins. So he played 37 games and cost them two over two wins on his own. These are the worst numbers in the NBA. Negative 2.5 Darko, 466th. Negative 5.08 LeBron. Zeroth percentile compared to starters. That's dreadful. His Darko graph shows marginal improvements. But as I said, he started out the season well, and then he got hurt and never really recovered. And there is, um, there are some concerns with some of that finishing stuff. But I thought he flashed enough things for me to have a level of hope that maybe he can develop into a backup point guard. His fantasy points graph again, nothing to massively write home about there. He very rarely had any moments of uh, excitement or anything like that. And his EPM graph is pretty rough as it just declines and declines and declines. It happens with young guards in particular, but the worry that we have again, when we have a worry with a player and Hey, can this bloke finish? And then he shows you the exact same thing. You go, Oh, maybe you can't. And that's, that's going to, that's going to make him dumb. Like he's not going to be able to play in the NBA unless he can hit any sort of shot at the rim. That's, that's the problem. That's, The big problem here with him, and I have significant concerns that it really ever gets there. The passing was good. The shooting was okay from outside. The defense was okay. But you got to hit a layup, mate. And that is what's always going to, I think, limit his overall dynasty value. Like just looking at his rim finishing numbers, forty-five percent at the rim—that's third percentile in the NBA. Like that's that's a horrible number. Like we're talking league average being about sixty-six, I think. Like it's yeah, okay, it's I'm just double checking that. Yeah, it's really like the numbers he's at are quite poor for especially for a guard. Like that's that's just really bad. And his effective field goal thirty-eight percent for a guard is is horrible. Mid-range shooting horrible. The only thing good he think he was good at was threes, and that's where we run into some concerns. But that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you're on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.